Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Joy to be with you as well this morning as I stand here in uh, Adam's stead today, and I know he's away, uh, but it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Amen. Take out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. And I uh, just want to extend uh, greetings from Kim and our boys who aren't able to be here this morning. And uh, But we are truly blessed by being a part of uh, this church family and having moved out to Lanesville just a few, well, a couple months ago, I guess now, as time moves by so quickly. Uh, but it's good to be with all of you and getting to know you more. And uh, this opportunity, I count as a privilege to stand before you and to preach the Word of God this morning. And I uh, don't take that um, task lightly. So uh, it's good to be with you today. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 25 through 34 this morning. And let me just read um, a few verses here to get us into the flow of the text. And uh, we'll pray and uh, see what the Lord has for us this morning. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Let's take a moment and bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word this morning. Father, we know it is our very life as Your people. We know it brings salvation as we spread the Gospel good news that was accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ through His life and through His death and burial and resurrection. Father, I pray this morning that these words would sink deep into our hearts and minds, into our souls, Father, to provide instruction, correction where needed, that they would be profitable, Lord, but most of all, Father, that we would be able to put to death worry, anxiety that oftentimes plagues our hearts, even as those who have been purchased by your precious blood. May the Spirit enliven our hearts today as we Look into your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever taken time to consider the complex nature of sustaining your day-to-day life. Now, you might say, well, how complex really is it, right? How complex is it? I need some food, some basic food. I need probably need some water and maybe a little bit of rest. Some clothing would be nice and helpful to protect us from the elements. Some of us may need some medication that helps sustain our lives and our physical bodies. And a little exercise probably wouldn't hurt, amen, to sustain our lives. And of course, yes, we cannot leave out coffee. Can I get a hearty amen from that? We need coffee. Yes, there it is. We need coffee to sustain our lives. And it may not seem as complex as you think, but well, I want to submit to you this morning that it's very complex to sustain your day-to-day life. And listen, much of it is out of your control. I want to give you, for example, let's consider gravity and how that affects your life and sustains your life on a daily basis. Just a simple concept of gravity. In studying the effects of uh, zero-g, which is no gravity, obviously zero gravity, 
in the environment found in space, NASA has learned that gravity is necessary for human life on Earth. In fact, NASA learned that gravity is more than just a force holding everything down. Gravity is, uh, gravity is more than a force, but rather it is also a signal. It is a signal to the body of how it is supposed to act and how it is supposed to maintain itself. Gravity, for example, signals to your body how strong your muscles need to be to push back against it. Well, how do we know this? Well, it's because in a zero-gravity environment in space, the muscles begin to atrophy because they perceive that there is no real need for them because there's no force pushing against them. In a zero-G environment, astronauts have learned that muscles can atrophy 5% a week. Your muscles can atrophy 5% a week. Furthermore, in a zero-G environment, not only do the muscles atrophy, but you can lose bone mass at a rate of 1% per month. All of your posture-related bones, your feet and your legs and your spinal column begin to lose um, density or mass, rather, I should say, at 1% a month. All, all that applies to helping you stand up and function in your life. So we have muscles, we have bones. But we can take it one step further. In a zero-G environment, it also affects your blood supply. So in a gravity-filled environment, most of our blood pools in our feet and our heart pumps it throughout our body. But in a zero-G environment, blood just flows through the entire body. In fact, more blood ends up in your head than would be in a normal gravity-filled environment. And so that signals to the brain... High blood pressure, high blood pressure. We need to start eliminating blood. And so the body can begin to eliminate blood at a rate of 22% in just three days. Three days alone. So then, with less blood in the body to pump, what begins to happen then? Your heart doesn't have to work as hard, so that muscle begins to atrophy as well. And so for astronauts returning from space... It's been recorded that it takes uh, one day on Earth to recover from one day in space. And in fact, they've even done more studies that show it can take two to three years to recover all of the bone mass that's lost by an astronaut who's been in space for a lengthy amount of time. And some do not, uh, some do not recover it completely at all. And so the point is this. Your life is way more complex to sustain on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis than we, you and I, realize. And much of it's out of our control. Much of it is out of our control. Gravity alone is a necessary and powerful force that sustains our life. As we know, it's really kind of out of our control. Yet, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of us in this room regularly become anxious about our lives or some aspect of our life? Studies show that 42% of adults in America today struggle with anxiety. That's up 10% in the past 18 months. Of course, we know why that's probably the case because of a virus called COVID. 42% of adults in America struggle regularly with anxiety. That means that nearly half of the people in this room struggle with anxiety if those statistics play out 
in this room today. Anxiety is a real temptation, isn't it? Anxiety is a real temptation for all individuals, and it's even a temptation for us as children of God. I personally battled with anxiety. It's something that I battle with off and on, especially as I've gotten older. It seems like that battle has become a little bit worse. Um, it comes and goes, but it's there. Uh, many times that anxiety is over the worries of life or what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen next week. Um, sometimes anxiety comes, maybe you've experienced this for really no reason at all. It's just there. You're just anxious and you really can't even pinpoint why you're actually anxious. Pastor John Piper has often spoke of anxiety settling in in his life like an autumn morning fog and for what appears to be no reason at all. The fog of anxiety all of a sudden is there. Have you struggled with anxiety? Maybe the better question is, do you know how to kill anxiety? Are you equipped to battle anxiety? Are you equipped to win the battle with anxiety in your life as a children of God? Anxiety can come in many forms. There may be many anxieties in this room this morning. But beloved, we have hope from this text that we're going to be in today. In Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus offers us hope in this battle with anxiety and worry. And He does that, does this, He offers us this hope through a, a series of rhetorical questions, a series of illustrations that, are, that really become nuggets of truth. And these nuggets of truth have to be understood, they have to be believed, they have to be preached to, to ourselves in times of anxiety so that anxiety can be defeated. These truths come right out of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, as you know. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and they are found in chapter 6 where Jesus really, in this chapter 6, is challenging His followers to be kingdom seekers, to, to put Him and His kingdom first in their lives. Look at verse 33 for a second in chapter 6. And Jesus says this, and this is really becomes the, the point of chapter 6 with this whole lesson on anxiety tucked into it. In verse 33, he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, why is this important? It's because as we're going to learn throughout this sermon this morning, we learn that anxiety ultimately, listen, is, is a type of worship. Anxiety, if it, if it comes and then it's latched onto and it's, and it's then sort of coddled and not battled, it be, can become worship, really it can become worship of self. Worship of self and not the worship of God. We can be obsessed with ourselves and obsessed with seeking our own kingdoms and our own lives and trying to control all of our circumstances and it really just becomes worship about us and then it fosters more anxiety and more worship and more anxiety and what has happened is our focus is off of God and it's on us. And so in Matthew chapter 6, we're learning here that we must become kingdom seekers, prioritizing God first, seeking His kingdom first, letting Him take care of our needs, which will then help us kill anxiety. And so Jesus really is challenging us in light of all that in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, to reorient our worship in times of anxiety so that we can put it to death. We have to reorient our worship, worshiping Him and not worshiping ourselves. 
And so we find these lessons of how we leave anxiety behind. Let me give you a sort of the outline for the morning as we set this up. Jesus in these verses gives us five truths that kill anxiety. Five truths that kill anxiety. And that's going to be our outline this morning. Five truths from the Word of God, from Jesus Himself, that help us to kill anxiety, to put it to death in our lives. God has enabled us through our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ to live an anxiety-free life. It doesn't mean there would never be times of worry or doubt or those things are still part of our flesh that we're trying to overcome through sanctification. But we should be able to take these truths and battle anxiety when it sets in and put it to death. Five truths that kill anxiety. Let me give you the first truth. The first truth is this. It comes right out of verse 25. And it's this. Your heavenly Father sustains your life. Your heavenly Father sustains your life. Let's look at verse 25 again. Look what Jesus says. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Right at the beginning of this verse, Jesus is transitioning out of a different lesson on wealth and money. He says, for this reason, I say to you, this connects back really to verses 19 through 24, where Jesus ultimate point there is if we're going to be kingdom seekers, we cannot have two masters. We cannot worship both wealth and God. Right. That's the point in verses 19 through 24. Well, the same becomes true now in verses 25 to 34. We cannot worship anxiety and also worship God. It's the same idea. It's the same lesson. So Jesus is connecting the principle in verses 19 through 24 to the principle in verses 25 through 34. You cannot have two masters. You cannot be your master that produces anxiety and have God as your master at the same time. So he now launches into the truths and the lessons of why. And so given this, Jesus issues a command, doesn't he? Right out of the gate in verse 25. Look at it again. He says, do not be worried about your life. This is a present active command. Stop worrying. Stop having anxiety. Do not be worried. It is a command right out of the gate. Now here comes the truth that supports that command. Jesus commands us not to do this, but then He gives us this wonderful illustration, this wonderful picture to support that command for us not to worry. It starts out in the form of this rhetorical question. And, and Jesus is making an argument, I want you to see this, from the lesser to the greater. Okay, from the lesser to the greater. He says, do not be worried. Why? He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to put on. All the things that you think are necessary for your life. Now look right in the middle of the verse. He says, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? It's an argument, as I said, from the lesser to the greater. Food and clothing to the greater. Our worry often centers maybe on our provisions. And are we going to be provided for tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week, and the next month? But Jesus is saying, look, is not your life more complex than that? Isn't your life more than food and clothing? And the answer is yes. It's rhetorical. It's way more complex than you think. And there's somebody who is controlling all of that on your behalf. 
And it is God the Father who created the entire creation, the entire universe, heavens, earth, all of it, that all works together perfectly to sustain your life. And that's the argument from the lesser to the greater. Is not your life more than this? Yes, it is. And by the way, who's taking care of all that? God is taking care of all that. God is taking care of all that. The entire creation, gravity, which was our introduction, is created and ordered by God. It is vastly complex, yet He holds it all together to sustain you every moment of every day. And so what does Jesus say? Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about it. Your life is far more complex than you think. The things you're worrying about, there are far greater things that you can't control, but somebody's controlling for you on your behalf. So when you're tempted to anxiety over your life, some aspect of your life, money, possessions, clothing, food, medications, whatever these things are, we can preach this truth to ourselves. That our Heavenly Father is the one sustaining our lives on a day-to-day basis. We preach this to ourselves. He sustains us. He sustains you. He sustains me. And it is far more weighty and complex than we could ever imagine. And He's doing it on our behalf. So the first truth is this. Your Father, is, your Heavenly Father sustains your life. He sustains your life. The second truth is this, if you're keeping score, the second truth is this. Your Heavenly Father values you as a son or a daughter in Christ. Let me say that again. Your Heavenly Father values you as a son or a daughter in Christ. Just as the great preacher draws Charles Spurgeon, Jesus is going to draw his point and his illustration from creation itself. In this second point, it comes from nature. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at verse 26. He says, look, observe. He says, look out in nature. Look out all around you. And he picks out one part of nature. He picks out what? Birds. And this is an important illustration, an important selection on Jesus' behalf by telling us to look at the birds of the air. Why is that? Well, what do we know about birds? Can birds do anything to produce for themselves? No. Birds can't sow, right? They can't plant anything to provide food for themselves. Can birds reap? I guess in one sense they can. They go out and find food, but they forage for it. It's not like they're going to reap a harvest they have planted. So they don't really sow. They don't really reap. Birds don't even store up for tomorrow, right? They don't store up for tomorrow at all. They have no inclination to do that. They have no real means to do that. They don't save anything. Yet there's an interesting observation, isn't there, pointed out by Jesus. They're fed every day. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store up. But not a day goes by that the birds of the air are not fed. Interesting, isn't it? Well, who feeds them? Well, Jesus' point is their Heavenly Father feeds them. Their Heavenly Father feeds them. 
Why does he do that? Because he values them, right? He's part of, they're a part of his created order. They are a part of his creatures of his creation. And in fact, we know he values them. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from his knowledge. God is intimately acquainted with every sparrow on the planet at this moment. And he cares for them. So what is Jesus' argument? Again, it's going from the lesser to the greater. Look at the end of verse 26. He says, Are you not worth much more than they? And so Jesus again argues from the lesser to the greater. If God values the sparrow, if God feeds the sparrow every day who has no ability to feed himself, are you not worth much more than they? Will he not care for your needs as well? Certainly he will. And let's take it one step further. Will he not care for you, a creature who he values more than the sparrows? Why? Because you're an eternal soul created to bear his image, uh, to, to project his image to the world. And let's take it one step further. A soul whom he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to save you. He sacrificed his most valuable possession, relationship and his son to come to this earth to die a horrible death to save you and to bring you into His kingdom and to make you a son or make you a daughter in Christ. Will He not provide for you? Will He not care for the burden you have this morning, tomorrow, the next day, and the next? Of course He will. That's Jesus' point. Of course He will. I love it because some Commentators feel to point out that, well, if Jesus feeds the birds, then he'll feed me. I just sort of can go off into this fatalistic, I don't need to do anything, right? Jesus will take care of my needs tomorrow. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's pointing out that he values the sparrow. He values you much more. If he cares for the sparrow, who can't care for himself in many ways, Certainly He will care for you. A son and daughter in Christ who bears His image and who He has redeemed through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are such important truths for us to remember. Your Heavenly Father values you as a son or daughter in Christ. He will provide for you. He will care for your needs. We must preach that truth to ourselves to kill anxiety when it comes. Let me give you the third truth. The third truth is this. Your Heavenly Father, listen, listen to this, your Heavenly Father declares worry, anxiety is vain. Worry, anxiety is vain. Look at verse 27. And this, this truth we must preach to ourselves. Your Heavenly Father declares worry is vain. Jesus says, and who of you, by the way, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? This truth is straightforward. It's convincing, is it not? Worry is vain. Vain meaning worthless. It's empty. It's void. It produces nothing. Well, it produces something. It produces a negative result, right? It produces, I guess we could say, nothing positive. It doesn't add anything. It can subtract off of your life. Amen? 
but it can't add to it. It cannot produce anything. In fact, Jesus says it cannot add one hour to your life. I think this is such a great argument right in the middle of this section. This is such a great argument. It's a great illustration for us because listen to this. We are created as creatures who do what? We produce. In fact, in our culture, in our American society, we are producers, right? We get up every morning and we want to come home at night. At least, I don't know about you, but this is what uh, what I feel like. What did I do today? Did I accomplish anything? Right? We feel that way as creatures created by God, human beings created by God. So we measure our lives in production. We constantly measure our works in, work in terms of production. Jesus knows this. He appeals to this. Again, with a rhetorical, so can you add anything to your life? Can you produce anything through worry? And the answer is no. It's vain and it is empty. And here's the implication. And this is a really, really key connection. If anxiety and worry cannot produce anything, then it is nothing more than the worship of self. Now, when I say that, I say those of us who engage in it, who, who allow that besetting sin to settle in, and we don't do anything about it. We just stay locked in, stay fixed in it. And then we get into this circular pattern of anxiety, worry. It just comes back and back and back. It produces nothing. And ultimately what's going on here is we're focused on ourselves. The worship of self. Because the worship of self, oftentimes because of the perceived lack of something in the future, it is focused on ourselves. It is focused on you and your life and your what you may not may or may not have in the future could apply to many things could apply to many anxieties many worries could apply to money things food health kids government whatever you can fill in the blank whatever that is there's a lot of anxiety over government right now but if we allow that to fester we allow that to settle in allow that to stay allow it to grow then we are simply worshiping self and if we know that God the Father completely sustains us, and if we know that He values us more than the sparrow, more than any other creature on the face of the earth, doesn't He deserve our worship? Doesn't He deserve our focus? Doesn't He deserve our priority? By trusting in Him and not worrying about all these ancillary things in life and on the earth, should we be concerned of course, we can, we can be concerned. Should we be active in these things? Of course. But when it crosses over to worry, when it crosses over to anxiety, then we're worshiping ourselves and we're not worshiping the Father who deserves our worship. The great Charles Spurgeon talks about anxiety. He says, many worries come from lack of the Bible in our lives. Where does it start? Well, it starts with the Gospel. It starts with us have being in a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with turning from sin, turning to Christ, letting His blood cover our sin, applying His atoning death to our lives, being saved, 
giving our lives over to Him, trusting in Him. That's where it begins. And then it launches us into a life of worship. It launches us into a life of prioritizing God and prioritizing Christ in our lives. If you're here this morning and you've never believed on our Lord Jesus Christ, never given your life to Him, we encourage you to do that. We want to talk to you about that. We want you to be in Him. We want you to be saved. We want you to know the hope, the glorious hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you the fourth truth. Let me remind you of the third. Your Heavenly Father declares that worry is vain. Fourth truth is this. Your Heavenly Father will lavishly care for you. Jesus now takes it one step further. He's not done with just saying that your Heavenly Father will care for you. He's saying He will lavishly care for you. I love this section. This is one of my favorite sections this whole passage. Look at verse 28. He says, and, and why are you worried about clothing? Must have been a real fashion problem going on back in Jesus' day. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Why are you worried about clothing? Now he's going to go back to nature. Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. I love this illustration. We're going back to nature. Jesus says again, why are you worried about clothing? Why are you worried about things that will sustain your life? But he again takes it a step further. He says, look. Look out to the creation around you. Look. Carefully observe. Learn. Again from creation, the lilies of the field. The lilies in the field, they, they do less than birds. Birds actually go out and get their food. The lilies of the field, he says, do what? They neither toil nor spin. They don't do anything. And yet, God so clothes the, the fields with lilies in such glory, even Solomon, probably the wealthiest man ever lived in the entire face of the planet of history ever, even with the way he clothed himself and all the glory that surrounded him, cannot even compare to the glory with which God clothes the fields with lilies who do nothing to grow. But there's something else about this glory. In verse 30, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, listen, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more? Don't miss those words. Will He not much more clothe you? So think about what Jesus is saying. God closed the fields with these glorious lilies that last how long? A day? They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. And so, if He fills these fields with glory, more glory than Solomon even had in the, in the height of His day, here today, 
gone tomorrow, how much more will He clothe you? Do you see His point? Not only will God care for your needs, He will lavishly care for your needs. And every one of us in this room can say a hearty amen. We are lavishly cared for, are we not? We are. We are. He will lavishly care for us. Will He not much more clothe you? And then Jesus then kind of hits us. It hits us right in the heart, doesn't He? You of little faith. You of little faith. If God expends all this energy to clothe the fields for a day, will He not lavishly more clothe you, an eternal soul whom He created and saved and will be with Him in glory forever? Yes, He will. And we must believe this. We must trust in this. Otherwise, we would be men and women of little faith. And as we've said earlier, when we are men and women of little faith, we are not worshiping Him, but we're worshiping and trusting in ourselves. And so we must understand from Jesus' point, he, God will care for us. He will lavishly care for us. And this is the fifth truth. Let me give you the fifth and final truth. Fifth and final truth is this. Your Heavenly Father knows your needs better than you do. Your Heavenly Father knows your needs better than you do. Charles Spurgeon again said, if God knows your cares, why need you care too? Interesting point, right? And challenging. If God knows your needs, why do you need to care so much about it too? Is He not infinitely more able to meet your needs than you are? And in fact, He actually knows your needs better than you do. Whatever you think is a need really probably isn't a need. And He knows what your needs really are. You ever prayed about A? And what was the answer? B. Right? The exact opposite of what you were thinking the answer was going to be. He knows our needs. He knows them better than we do. Verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here again, we're getting a command in verse 31. Do not worry. Don't worry. Stop it. Is what he's saying. Stop it. We say that to our kids all the time, don't we? Stop it. Well, that's what he's saying to us. Don't worry. Stop it. Stop worrying. Why? Because he knows your needs better than you do. He knows your, when your need needs to be met better than you do. And he will meet it perfectly and in the perfect timing according to his will. In fact, Jesus points to the, to the Gentiles now. He says, you know, stop, stop worrying so much. Stop focusing so much on your needs. That, that's what the Gentiles spend their whole lives doing. Chasing stuff. Right? Chasing stuff. They spend their whole life chasing stuff, which produces what? Anxiety. Produces anxiety. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Don't spend your whole life seeking all these things. And how are you going to get them? Why? Because your Heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And He will provide them for you. But once again, Jesus is going to take the lesson one step further. He, he's doing this thing where he's, he's trying to invert our world, right? Invert our inclinations, invert our focus. 
Don't be focused on all these things so much. Certainly don't be anxious about them so much. And what is the the reorientation he's trying to focus us on? Well, look at verse 33. We looked at it earlier. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be added to you. If you really want to kill anxiety in your life, prioritize God. Prioritize Jesus. Prioritize the Bible and His Word and living it out. And, and God's going to take care of all these other things that we need. And you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll live a much more of an anxiety-free life. Because our mind and our hearts and our eyes are going to be focused on Him and Jesus alone. Seek first His kingdom. It's Here, this is a present command. So, we've been commanded twice not to do this. Not to be anxious, but now we're being commanded to do something positively. Seek first His kingdom. Seek it first. Prioritize it first. To seek, to look for, desire, devote ourselves to Him and His will and His priorities. This this is a lifelong process. This is a lifelong process. It's known in theological circles as sanctification. But don't miss the lesson here about anxiety specifically. It's this, it's this reorientation. It is this turning of our focus, right? But Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about making a living and taking care of food and clothing and those kind of things. But we don't become consumed with that. That isn't our priority. That isn't what we devote ourselves to. It's the other way around. We first devote ourselves to Him and to Christ and His will and His inclinations. And all of these other things are going to be added to us. This is what kills anxiety. He knows our needs. And so we have to prioritize Him. He deserves this. He deserves our worship and our allegiance and not to be worried so much about our needs. He knows what they are. And He will lavishly care for us in all those things that we need in our lives. And when He becomes the focus, you know, we just sort of fade in focus. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that will help us to not be so worried and so anxious in our lives. You know, over time, I think those of you in the room who may have battled anxiety, you know it's a battle, you know it's hard, it's difficult. Um, I don't want to minimize it in any stretch of the imagination. It, it's, it's real, it's difficult. And that's okay. God knows. And He'll provide what you need in that battle. He will. He'll sustain you through the, the darkest hours of anxiety. He's going to sustain you through that. He will. But if we take up these truths... We preach these things to our heart. And day by day, we, we begin to reorient our lives to, to prioritize Him more. Anxiety will, will, will start to die. It will start to fade. It might rear its ugly head back, but it will continue to fade. It will continue to die. And it will be probably not fully extinguished ever until we're in glory, but it will fade down to just a just a smoldering wick and you'll be able to gain much victory over it in your lives you may need to ask yourself this morning am i consumed with worry in my life 
Or is God and His kingdom what fills my thoughts and my heart and my life? Take some time this week to think about this reorientation. Taking these truths and taking them to heart and thinking where do I really need to reorient my life and prioritize God and Christ and able to kill anxiety. He kind of finishes his argument in verse 34. He says, so look again, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. It's almost as if he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow, I'll be there tomorrow too. In fact, he knows our needs better tomorrow than we do already. And he wants us to come back to the present. Because anxiety is oftentimes a, a focus on what? The future. And a perceived lack of something. Jesus wants us to live in the present. In the now. There's enough trouble as it is here today and now. So focus on the now. Don't worry so much about the future. And that will help kill anxiety as well. Five truths that kill anxiety. Let me go back through them again. Your Heavenly Father sustains your life in, in far more complex ways than we think about often from day to day. Number two, your Heavenly Father values you as a son or a daughter in Christ. Number three, your Heavenly Father declares worry is vain. Your Heavenly Father will lavishly care for you, number four. And your Heavenly Father knows your needs way better than you do, way better than I do. When we take these truths and we preach them to our heart and we, we start this reorientation of our life to overcome anxiety by prioritizing Him and prioritizing ourselves less and less. These truths will arm us. These truths will give us a fight in the battle to win and be victorious. And that's what Jesus wants us to be. George Mueller is one of my favorite figures from church history and done some reading of some of his books and, and biographies. And if you have it, I encourage you to take time to to read one of, uh, a book about him. But George Mueller, as you know, was a pastor. And uh, he loved orphans. And George Mueller built multiple orphanages. And he ran those orphanages on faith. He was a man of great faith, a man of great envy for all of us. And he ran those orphanages really through faith and prayer. He, he ran, I think, as many as maybe six orphanages at one time, up to 300 children at least at one time. He, all ran, he ran it all on faith. He never asked for for money from anyone ever to care for all these kids. One morning he was in his study and he was informed early that there was no food for breakfast. And so he told the staff to seat the 300 children in the dining room and he would be there soon. And George came in and he sat with the children that morning at the table. He bowed his head and prayed, thank God for the food that they were about to eat. And he sat and he waited. Within minutes, there was a knock at the door. And it was the local baker. And confused, George wasn't quite sure why he was there. And the baker announced that for some reason he could not sleep during the night. For some reason. Saying that he knew you would need bread this morning. So he said, I got up early and baked three batches. So I'm going to go out and bring it in for you right now. Mueller wasn't anxious. He saw God's kingdom. He knew God knew his needs. And he lavishly supplied. Let's take a minute and bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. 
And I pray that these words have been profitable. I pray that we can take these truths home and hide them in our hearts, Lord, to, to battle worry and anxiety when it comes. Father, we love You. We thank You. We praise You for all that You have done in saving us and all that You're doing in our lives here on this earth and all that You have restored in store for us forever with You. And so, Father, help us be people that live out what You have prepared for us and help us to be people who trust deeply that You know our needs and that You'll care for us. And thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.